iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gregor Robertson. We're here with you twice a week throughout the season for all the best reaction and analysis from some of the best football writers in the business. And joining us today, it is Matt Dickinson from The Times. Coming up, we'll discuss yet more problems for Maurizio Pochettino. But first, to the Etihad. Manchester City were beaten 2-0 by Wolves at home to leave them eight points behind the leaders Liverpool in the title race after only eight games. Two Adama Traore goals in the final 10 minutes mean City have now dropped five points in their opening four home games of the season, having dropped just three in the whole of last season. So where did it all go wrong for City? Paul Hurst was there for the Times and joins us now. Paul, for all of City's millions that they have spent, injuries have caused them problems this season. Uh, They gave a full Premier League debut to João Cancelo, who cost £60 million from Juventus in the summer, still able to leave Bernardo Silva and Gabriel Jesus on the bench, but they were without other key players like Kevin De Bruyne and Leroy Sane. Is it as simple as to say that injuries were their downfall this weekend? Yes, I think it is as easy to kind of boil it down to that. Um, principally because of the, the lack of Ima Laporte or John Stones there. I think you, you look at Nicolas Otamendi um, and a couple of years ago in the 17-18 season, he was in the Premier League team of the season. Um, but that season he had Vincent Company alongside him, all Laporte, all Stones, but he was alongside Fernandinho on Saturday, and as we know, you know this is Fernandinho is a central midfielder. He's not a defender. So once you make Otamendi the main man of defence, the you know the senior guy, he's clearly he's clearly exposed, and he's not up to it. And I just thought positionally he was he was poor on Saturday, um, and he left he left Fernandinho doing most of the legwork and. I mean, it just looks so simple from Wolves. They could have been 3 0 up at half time. All they needed to do was just run at the centre backs and City just panicked. So, yes, they did miss De Bruyne a little bit creatively going forward, but certainly at the back, that's where they, they missed Laporte and, uh, and Stones as well. Matt, is this the first time we can question the strength and depth then of Manchester City? Well, I certainly think at centre-half people have been talked about that for a while and and obviously at uh, holding midfield as well. Rodri came in to to sort of give um, Fernandinho a, a, a much-needed break there. I guess he was, it felt like he was, um, they, were, they were over-dependent on him in that sitting role. But yeah, centre-half, it, it, it felt like um, a, a sort of injury accident waiting to happen a little bit in that in that position. I mean, I do think, you know, it felt... A little bit to me, watching it like a, a sort of perfect storm in the sense that, you know, City had a few early ch- chances. They 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 don't grab those, and then as the game goes on, Wolves are probably you know particularly with the pace of Troy or a better place than mo- you know as City 
try and defend on their own halfway line. If there's one team and one player that's going to got the potential to expose them, then then it's Traore's pace. So it it felt like to me like two or three, four things all combined. But you know, City being uh, unusually ragged, unusually twitchy, certainly was a big part of that. Gregor, obviously as a former defender, can you make a case for any of these defenders and then maybe we're being a bit harsh on them or not at all? Um, I'm struggling. The Otamendi's challenge for the for the first goal was really sort of... There's not really any defence for that, I don't think. I mean, I've probably made worse mistakes myself, undoubtedly, in fact. But, <laughs> um, you know, it just you have the, the golden rule there is stay stay on your feet and try and show the attacker down, down a channel, ideally away from goal. And he just completely made it. He made it so easy for uh, for Wolves to score there. Um, I, I think the other thing is Laporte obviously is the biggest loss. But even if you know Stones, Stones hasn't been convincing convincing either. So yes, it has been a a, a kind of a big failure on on Man- Manchester City's uh, part. But um, they don't really have any excuse because they have the they have the funds. They have the they have the, they have the, the money to to make signings that they have to make and that was really quite clear in the summer and for whatever reason they, they chose not to to make an addition. Paul, a lot has been spoken about Vincent Company, his retirement and the fact that Manchester City haven't replaced him. It was what, £15 million the difference in the, the two asking prices or the two prices both Manchester United and Manchester City were willing to pay. Do you think there were any gripes there from Pep Guardiola that City didn't stump up the cash? Yes, if you talk to people uh, close to Pep Guardiola, they will tell you that he was he wasn't happy at all that they didn't sign a replacement for, for the company in the summer, and you can see see why he'd be annoyed because coming back to Otamendi, I know we've mentioned him a lot already, but he was he was considering leaving the club before company announced his retirement or announced that he was leaving City. Sorry, um, so you've got they were preparing for life after Otamendi, they weren't going to play him. Um, and now all of a sudden he's the main man. And Maguire, as you say, you know, fifteen million pounds was the difference. And it's a lot of money to play, pay for a for centre back. But as Gregor said, they've got the money. Uh, they needed a centre back a lot more than they needed a right back, um, which made uh, Cancelo. You know, he's a very good player, but I don't think they needed him as much as they needed a centre half because going into the season with three centre halves is just uh, it was it was a very very dangerous move to make, um, and that's why Pep was annoyed that they didn't get Maguire um, over the line. It's it's just left him completely, left City completely exposed, and we're only you know only a fraction into the season. It was interesting afterwards when Guardiola spoke about the loss. He he said his team were nervous at home to Wolves. He said we started quite well, and after we conceded two situations in our build up where it's impossible to defend, we got a little bit nervous. How can a team like Manchester City be nervous against Wolves? Well, I, I think their standards are so high, aren't they? And I think when they when they either fail to start moving the ball around um, as they're accustomed, or, or they're prevented from doing that, and when a team, you know, we saw how how effectively and um, you know Wolves were defending at times with eleven men in in the first um, half, and I guess just when when you feel that there's a spark missing, um, when things are not going as slick as they're used to um, they're suddenly out of a uh, comfort zone is not probably the way to put it because it's it's hard work to play as well as they do but it you know you could suddenly see little things stopped going for them that they might normally expect 
Um, they were sort of running into blocks of defenders, you know, the odd chance, you know, hitting the bar or or flying wide. And yeah, even uh, even a team as as comfortable as as City um, will yeah will qu- can quickly feel as if mm, is this things aren't clicking. Mm. Uh, Paul, talking about the title race then, if we look back to this time last year, Liverpool and City played out that goalless draw to leave both of them level on 20 points. You had to, in fact, go until December, until City's first loss of that campaign. This season, they've already lost twice. The gap between them and Liverpool, as we've mentioned, is eight points after only eight games played. In fact, this is the, the biggest recorded lead for a team at the top of the table after eight games. Are there concerns at City it's not looking likely that they can defend their title again? Well, Pep was insistent last night, as you'd expect him to be, that City can actually can catch Liverpool up. You know, he, he pointed to the fact that they were a considerable length behind Liverpool last season and still managed to catch them up and overtake them. But I just think this season it's going to be so much harder because Liverpool seems to have got the, the bit between the teeth. They just keep winning matches. They're like a machine, aren't they? And City, as we were saying, don't have... Laporte back until maybe January or February, and Stones, as Greg said, hasn't hasn't been amazing when he's played either. So there's that frailty at the back, um, and with Sané out as well, it's, it's they're missing an out um, up front. So it'll be a lot harder for them to catch Liverpool this season. Gregor, do you think this is Liverpool's title then? It's early days, of course, but yes. the way things are working out right it now, is, yeah. Um, I think uh, I really think that defensive sort of weakness is could prove to be pretty decisive actually over the course of the season because Laporte's not back until well into the new year, um, and Liverpool. I, I've said I seem to say this almost every week. The Liverpool, you still don't feel they've really hit top gear yet. You know, yeah. Salah's kind of been he's been good, but not, uh, you know if he's if he dips slightly, then then uh, Mane steps up and he's been he's been exquisite this season. Firmino's been brilliant. But they've been they've been poorer defensively, Liverpool, than than we'd expect expect them to be after last season's sort of uh, defensive record. So I think that that's ominous. You know, Liverpool still have got top gear to find, and and um, and we're early in the season, but I think it, it's certainly theirs to lose at the moment. We know, of course, Liverpool had a, a big lead over Manchester City last season. City were over, able to overtake them in the end. But after the international break, City travelled to Crystal Palace. Liverpool head to old rivals Manchester United. For a City perspective, Matt, they really cannot afford any more slip-ups. No, and I, I yeah, agree agree with Gregor. I think the, the, the scariest thing for them is, is that Liverpool, you know, um, I think there is, despite you know, despite their, their winning, winning run, um, more to come from them. I, I, I was... Um, Reminding my uh, sons this morning that when I'd put down Liverpool to win the title at the start of the season, they <laughs> they mocked me e- e- even more than they usually do. So uh, I've uh, maybe a little bit early for me to be uh, getting my retaliation in, but I'm I'm uh, among my usually dreadful pre-season predictions. I'm feeling pretty comfortable about that. <laughs> we should spare a thought on Wolves, the victors at the weekend, then at Manchester City. They were winless in their first five Premier League games and now unbeaten in three, winning their last two. This win is their 17th match of the campaign, which began back in July, July 25th. It now leaves them four points off a top four spot. It feels, Gregor, as though perhaps Wolves have finally adjusted to, to competing in Europe as well as their domestic matters that they're concentrating on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
we know the record of of teams that play in Euro, Europa League is always that there's always a big big dip uh, in their their league position the following season. So um, Wolves have obviously had a tough start, um, but that, they really seem to be back to the sort of the team team of old. That really resolute defensive block with the back three um, and the three midfielders in front of them and the wing backs and and Trory was, you know. It, Seems amazing. Somebody's getting a song out of him on a regular basis. He seems to be—he's electric to watch sometimes, and then other times he, you think he's kind of—you know—he runs the ball out of play or something. So that could be a new position for him. And 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 uh, so fast the number of times Raheem Sterling tried to go past him, and and he just sort of turned on the, the afterburners and said no chance. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, a, a, certainly a big improvement for Wolves, but they needed it because. Um, it was a tough start to the to the season for them, and uh, and it's still, you know, the further the longer they go, the further they go in in Euro, the Europa League. It it does kind of it catches up with you. It can catch up with you, and and uh, the number of games becomes becomes a problem. But but it was an excellent performance. It was, and Wolves' uh, Raul Jimenez explains how they targeted City's weaknesses in that win. They say we knew that City's a game that when they have the ball. They leave some spaces when they are attacking. We didn't have too much time to plan the game because last Thursday we were playing in Turkey and we had two days for rest. So it was just the things that we know, the things that we are good at doing, and we made it work well. How much credit then should Wolves be getting for this victory? Because we are focusing mainly on Manchester City and how poor they were, but how good were were, uh, Wolves, Matt? Yeah, I would say I, I think it was one of those days where they, you need a bit of luck to survive the early pressure, which you know they had a couple, you know, a couple of chances that could City could easily go in, but they, you know, they defended doggedly. Um, say especially considering the amount of games they've had, they were they looked organised, they looked like they had a plan, and then when you can, you know, as Gregor said, Traore sort of one minute he's being effective um, tracking back um, and then next minute he's when he's released for those counter-attacks. Um, I think, I can't, I can't remember who described him as um, someone on the on the telly as like a learner driver at the, the, the wheel of a Ferrari for a while. You know, he has got that sort <laughs> Martin of... Martin Keown, I think. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he's all, he's got... You, you know, everyone knows he's got this extraordinary pace, but you're never quite sure what's going to happen at the end of it. Uh, and and this time he kept his nerve superbly well. Um, he is exhilarating to watch sometimes. I mean, I remember watching him in the championship as well. You know, he was at Middlesbrough, and sometimes he's weaving in between players at, at ridiculous speed. And when you're there in person as well, it's kind of one of those weird <laughs> eye-widening moments. I've never seen anyone as quick in real life. And, and you know, when he raced through for... for for the goals, there was no chance anyone was catching them. And it's those thighs as well as it? it's like sort of Zanetti type thigh. You know, yeah. you can see <laughs> this the the running power in him. I mean, it, it's 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 it is electrifying. And um, no, so I, I you know I, I think I think it was a, a plan that worked. Now, Newcastle have a new hero in Matty Longstaff, who capped an impressive Premier League debut with the winning goal to move the Magpies out of the relegation zone and heap more misery on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Manchester United. United's tally now of nine points after eight games is their lowest in Premier League history. Solskjaer said, if you only walk on sunny days, you'll never get to where you want to go. And he is adamant things will slowly turn around. But, Matt, how much further can things sink at United? Oh, that's, that's a big <laughs> that question. That sounds ominous. No, well, I, I, you know, I, I've been pretty, um, I think, upfront that I've, shall we say, been a, a Solskjaer um, skeptic from from day one. Yeah, well, I just, yeah, I, I, I didn't know, but I, like a lot of us, we do. 
we didn't know and you had to look at the record you had to look at the size of the job you had to look at what he'd done and you know putting the scale of the job what was required against his known achievements experience skill set looked to me like something was seriously out of kilter that's, an, it, that's another thing you got a bit of stick for as well I, I well remember. yeah <laughs> and so, you know look and and he's you know it's not I, I'm certainly not saying he's the only problem there and um and I think the fact that Woodward has put his faith in him he's put his faith in um the vision that uh, Solskjaer sold he's put his faith in him to make already obviously some significant transfers and was planning to make more um I <laughs> My suspicion is that Woodward will be thinking, I don't want to sack him soon because that doesn't just look like Solskjaer's failure. It looks like Woodward's pretty spectacularly as well. So I'm sure Woodward's instincts are to try and show faith and to try and back him. But it's, you know, it gets hard. I mean, is there a team that's harder on the eye to watch in the entire league at the moment than Man United? I almost think that's as scary as the issue of points. Mm. And bearing in mind that they're on the same amount of points as Sheffield United, that's a pretty extraordinary thing to say. But I'd, I sat down to watch it yesterday, and after you know twenty minutes, you were just thinking, "This is even more drab than I'd expected." You know, Rashford clearly shouldn't be on a, the pitch at the moment. He's just physically, stroke mentally, not not there. Um, you know, clearly just not happy in himself. So you know, you, I'm already sort of scattering the problems around, but they're they're. They 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 big and they're getting bigger. That's that's the worry if you're a Manchester United fan. I think it's it's alarming before the ball's even kicked when the team sheet arrives. Yeah, you look at it and you go, oh my, you know, people are talking about McTominay as the kind of as the shining light of this team, and he's a fairly sort of humdrum. Hard, yeah, yeah, hard working player, but he's not. You know, I, I hope he does well. He's Scottish as well, <laughs> <laughs> but. And Daniel James, who's just arrived from Swansea, is kind of their chief creative spark at the moment. And then you look around, and like Ashley Young's wearing the, the captain's armband as well. Uh, Pereira is just non-existent. It really Fred is. Yeah, doesn't yeah, anything. yeah. I mean, he was controlling the ball out of play and several times, and just doesn't look like he should be on the pitch at all. It really is. It's like alarming to see that team at the moment. That's a Manchester United team, and people keep saying as well that. You know, he'll need he needs two or three or four transfer windows. But they've been saying people have been saying that for like two years now, three years, more. And so whoever is in charge of these of of the the recruitment and and the transfer dealings in these in the transfer windows, that's your first problem. That's the first thing you've got to tackle. It doesn't matter who the manager is at the moment. I mean, it does to a degree if you were to put someone like Pep Guardiola in charge of that 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 team, it would look very different. I'm sure and. Um, Solskjaer and uh, any other, you know, in any other circumstance, he wouldn't wouldn't be manager manager of Manchester United. But the bigger, the more sort of pressing problem, I think, is the structure of that football club and and who is, you know, it doesn't matter from people, top to bottom. Yeah, and who mm. who you know, you see, you need you need he deserves three transfer windows. It, it, it doesn't really matter because the, the transfer dealings have been absolutely catastrophic. Well, people are making excuses in the sense that there were a lot of injuries for Manchester United. They were missing some key players. But, Matt, a club like United should still be able to cope, surely, if they're missing key players. Well, exactly. And, and, and you know, you see it's, it's questions of partly of uh, of depth. But it's when you bring in a player like Fred, who you spent £50 million on, you know, he's got to look like he is hungry for that chance. He's got to look like he knows the job. Instead, he just looked... 
uh, he looked like a guy who wasn't just um, off his game, but completely, you know, gone in terms of confidence. I mean, sometimes, you know, it it you just see a player who just almost wants. You wonder if he wants to be on the pitch because things are just bat- like Gregor said. The ball's bouncing off his shin. There was one I can't remember. Someone knocked a simple pass to him. It just rolled straight past mm-hmm. his foot, and you saw him wait. You know, it's all, he's you know he's not an incompetent footballer. You know, he's he he just not saying he'd justify fifty million quid, but he you know they they bought him for a reason, and he's so far short of the standard because clearly his head is not in the right place, and they're that say that's that's the worry is that they're they're sending you know sending him into midfield big job clearly just not in the right frame of mind to do that job as i say rashford who you know there's there's this way too big a burden on him that you know from the start of the season they sell Lukaku as as we all know and he starts the season get us 25 30 goals or else or else we're in trouble because no one else, you know, you got Greenwood coming through. He's a, you know, promising kid, but just a kid. So Rashford is, starts the season already with that expectation, you know, and bearing in mind that we're not even sure that he's a, a proper number nine. You know, he's got great ability, great pace. Um, but as Gareth Southgate's dis- discussed with us recently, he prefers to play him wide because he feels he's more comfortable wide at the moment of his development. So, you know, you're... You, You've got Rashford, who's clearly sort of looks like the weight of the world is on his shoulders. So, yeah, they have got a few players to come back, Pogba and Martial and, and, and a few others. But it's, it, yeah, I, I just think every single of their key players in key positions looks like they're troubled. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the manager on the side looks like he's troubled and, and he looks like he's sort of ageing in front of your eyes. Well... He certainly does. And, and they may be 12th in the table, but the bigger reality is, of course, that they're only two points clear of the bottom three, Gregor. Is it conceivable then they could actually be fighting a relegation battle as opposed to fighting out for a European place this season, as is the norm? I mean, it's not inconceivable, but I, I, I don't know. I think when they get a couple... I mean, I don't know. I really don't know. Pogba is... Yeah, like Matt says, he's not. He doesn't really seem like he wants to be there that much, and he's the he's the sort of the beacon of hope in terms of he's the most talented footballer probably at the football club. Um, Martial is a talented player, but he's not been without his sort of troubles at the club and his time at the club. Um, who else is coming back? Luke Shaw. He's not. He's, he's not had an easy time of it either. No one has. Um, so that that's the that's that's the players they're banking on improving them and improving their form. Um, I think relegation battle is probably stretching it, but I think they certainly, in in this state, they could possibly finish in the bottom half. Well, we've talked about Manchester United then. Let's focus on Newcastle. Maybe the mood has temporarily been lifted there after all the gloom that has been going on at the club. At 19 years and 199 days, Matty Longstaff is the youngest player to score in his Premier League debut for Newcastle as he drilled home a lovely low finish to leave Manchester United two points above the bottom three. As we've mentioned, Longstaff was playing in midfield alongside the more well-known Longstaff at the club, his older brother, Sean, and the pair have dominated the headlines. So question is, have Newcastle discovered something special in the younger Longstaff? Let's ask the Times' Martin Hardy, who's written about the Longstaff family in the game today. Martin, thank you for, for coming on. Let's just ask you then about Matty Longstaff. Just how special is he? The dad, David, is a is a 100 times capped Great British ice hockey international. And I've known David for 30 years. And I don't know how many years ago now. It must have been five or six years. On a Sunday, we would have a, 
a beer in the sunshine watching Time Out Cricket Club play and Sean was playing for the first of 15 as a gangling, very fast bowler in the Bob Willis style. Um, and the younger Maddie would be buzzing around uh, and would take my son off to play cricket. Um, and I would always have a chat with Sean, who, and they're, they're a lovely family, and they're a lovely pair of young lads. I would always have a chat with Sean, and David and I, as we sat with our friend Sam Miguel, said, Martin, you need to make sure you get on with the young one as well. Um, so he has been renowned, so he's been regarded as a potential very good talent for quite a long time. Um, but as for last night, I don't think it had sat, well, I spoke to David this morning, it's still not sank in with him what happened yesterday. I spoke to Michelle, the boys' mum. It hadn't sank in with her yesterday afternoon, as well, sorry, yesterday evening as well. It's a proper Roy of the Rovers story that to make your home debut um, and to get that opportunity in front of the Gallagher end, which is where all Newcastle fans dream of scoring, and then um, to, to drill the ball into the bomb corner in the 72nd minute and to beat Manchester United. I'm not sure, I'm not sure it gets much better than that. Um, to, to paint a picture, I'm currently sat outside of Kirkley Park, which is the home of Walls End Boys Club, um, where they've just unveiled a £600,000 new pitch through Premier League grants. And we've been chatting to Alan Shearer and Michael Carrick. Obviously, Michael Carrick's mood was more glum than Alan's. But both of them said, um, especially Alan Shearer said, what a what a joy for that young man. And the, the, the interview afterwards, uh, Gary Neville has tweeted about the purity of of what what they brought it was about football and it was about a young lad coming and absolutely seizing his opportunity um and you mentioned earlier on before i came on there about the mood newcastle is one of the moodiest clubs in the country and from being doom and gloom yesterday morning it's now it now appears very bright as two as two young lads make their way now it's you mentioned there about sean being um, the more experienced of the two, he, he's the veteran with I think about 15 Premier League games. <laughs> and obviously now he's got his, he's got his young brother with one beside them, um, and you know I'll be writing a piece for the Times tomorrow. But in that celebration when Matty charged towards the corner of the Gallagher end in the Milburn stand, there was quite a nice moment that's been missed by everybody, and that DeAndre Yedlin went to get a hold of Matty first. And big brother Sean arm-locked him out of the way, <laughs> grabbed his brother first and buried his head in the back of Matty's neck, which is a lovely, lovely image. Oh, it certainly is. And, and you know, talking about these two young Newcastle uh, players who are born and bred, and, and this is all about, this is their life in Newcastle, being a player and a fan as well with the family. The supporters of Newcastle must absolutely love this story. It, it, what, what was so refreshing was having... I've no, I'm obviously biased. I've known the family for a long time, so I was quite emotional yesterday and may have been more enthusiastic towards somebody scoring a goal in the press box than he's supposed to be. But it's because it's you've known somebody for a long time. But then, and yes, as you said, that mood spread amongst Newcastle fans. Um, you know, that was great delight last night. But beyond that, talking to other journalists and people from outside the area just said that this is a really lovely story of... of um, a young player from that region having been schooled in that club's academy coming in and as you said at 19 years old um, and just grabbing the game by the scruff of the neck there was a, there's, there's lots of nice elements to it Steve Bruce said you know in the modern game Steve Bruce didn't say this in the modern game you can play the simple pass everybody can look quite short this is your debut against Man United in the first real time he got the ball he looked and I could see what he was going to try and do and he pinged a 35 yard pass to his right to find Yedlin and Steve Bruce said afterwards, I looked and thought, is he going to do it? 
and he did it and nailed it and he said, aye, aye, we've got something here. Now, um, that, that great courage and on on Friday to get into the, to the technical elements in Newcastle side and the problems that Steve Bruce feels he's been having, he wants the team to be more mobile, he wants more sprints, he wants more energy, he wants more running. It was a big call yesterday to put two lads in, two young brothers in the heart of the midfield. And yes, it's not the Manchester United that we know, but it's still a live Premier League game against one of the biggest clubs in the world. But And perhaps there was a uniqueness in the story that when you think back to the Nevilles, they were on the, other side of the, on the alternative side of the pitch to each other, generally at Man United. Most brothers don't sit next to each other in the same position and do the job together. Um, so it... It it, it 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 feels like it might briefly have altered the course of Newcastle season because if they had a loss, you would have had two weeks of um, introspection and does Steve Bruce deserve the job, etc. But it's it's calmed Newcastle down a bit, and the, the two lads themselves last night went up to see the parents in the in the executive box from where they've been celebrating and got in the car and went home and you know they, life is normal for them back to the family well back to the mum's home and. Um, they just, they just have to kind of ride this storm of publicity for a few days because obviously everybody's very interested in, in the now. We remain as who they've always been, which is young lads that went out for a family meal on Friday night. It's sat there in the hoodies. They're not flash. A dad missed, who is still playing ice hockey and is the Whitley Bay Warriors coach, missed, his player coach missed the game last night to go and watch them play. <laughs> the three of them always go to hockey, so... and. Um, Sometimes the young lads go into the dressing room, that's Sean and Matty, uh, and get kept in check by the ice hockey player. So, you know, Michael Carrick certainly made reference to it in the conversation we've just had about this is just a start and how hungry are you for for more? Well, these two lads are a very good chance because they are so very grounded from the start. And just finally, Martin, on this story and this situation at, at Newcastle, we know when Steve Bruce came in, uh, there were a lot of anti-Steve Bruce with with regards to that appointment. But does a win like this obviously buy him time? But does it prove that maybe he is actually the right man to turn things around at Newcastle? It's the first time he has beaten Manchester United yeah. as a manager. And this time last year, Newcastle were in the relegation zone with two points from eight games. Whereas this time around, they've got eight points from their first eight games. Yeah, it's a complicated situation. There was a great deal of belief in Rafa Benitez because Benitez is a Champions League winning manager and it's... Yeah. Um, Premier League winning manager and he, Benitez was a nod back to perhaps 15 years ago when Newcastle were a, a, perceived to be a much bigger club than they are now so once he had gone there was a fear that Newcastle go back to what they've largely been under Mike Ashley which is a club fighting at the bottom so that's why even though within two points as against eight there probably was more hope there's also been £85 million spent on the team since then mm. now without being contradictory there is a stylistic element that Newcastle fans have probably been brought up going back to Kevin Keegan as a player of Peter Beardsley and Chris Waddle and they like to see the football on the front foot. Steve Booth might not be... Well, he's not somebody like Guardiola that carries a certain distinctive style with him, even like perhaps Graham Potter at Brighton. But he has stressed to us all recently that he wants the team to be more attack-minded. And yesterday was the first time that he's really done that. The victory buys him time. The fact that he took the shackles off the team a little bit more and Alan St. Maximin had a good game and the two young lads played well and um, Andrew, uh, sorry, DeAndre Edlin played as well and, and the team looked quicker and more mobile and more purposeful. That will also keep the pressure on them. But there's two hard games coming up against Chelsea and Wolves and as for 
um, the, the size of the back and from the support, he's still, he's still, there's still a big question mark against him. But yesterday is, is a, yesterday is a start for him to move it in the right direction. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Now, Maurizio Pochettino says he's not worried about the sack, despite Tottenham's poor form. Spurs lost 3-0 at Brighton on Saturday to compound a miserable week that also saw them thrash 7-2 by Bayern Munich in the Champions League. The club were also knocked out of the Carabao Cup on penalties by League Two Colchester last month. And when asked if he feared for his job, Pochettino said, no, I am not worried. What worries me is life, not football. But Gregor, should Pochettino be worried? For his job? Yeah. I don't think so, no. No. Um, he's transformed that football club and this is obviously the most difficult moment for him in, in his time there. Um, but but we've, we've discussed there's there's many reasons for that and they're not all his fault. Um, in fact, very few of them are. I think the the biggest thing that you can point at Pochettino about is was kind of cultivating a bit of a negative atmosphere and, and questioning the future his future at the club and the future of of other players, but the future of 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 the players who you know have either not been offered a contract uh, contracts or they are look agitating for moves elsewhere. Um, that's not really his fault. Uh, I think that sort of they just didn't deal with that. They didn't deal with that scenario over the last two years. Really, they either needed to move players on, sell them, and replace them, or um, they had to give them new contracts. And they've done neither in, in in several cases. So um I don't think he should fear fear for his job, but it is quite alarming how sort of how much their form is, has fallen off the edge of a cliff and how you know, I think I think they ran seven and a half kilometres less than Brighton on Saturday, which is pretty alarming. And as we've discussed already, their, their pressing game is completely What collapsed. does that suggest to you then, if they're not running as much? Is it is it that they're not trying? What does that mean? They're not, it's not that they're not trying. Football's still overwhelmingly about psychology, you know. And these guys, they know their their futures are very uncertain. Um, whether that's because they want to be at the club and they've not been offered contracts and they're sort of into their thirties, or whether that's because they want to move elsewhere and and 
they've either, either been prevented from that happening in the, in the last transfer window or they, they want to do it in January, they want to do it after that. And there has been quite a lot said about this, sort of, there's not been enough uh, evolution of the squad. You know, I think there's eight players left from, from Pochettino's first season, seven of them started uh, at the weekend. Um, and when you compare that to most other clubs, and it's sort of, that's light and day. And, and there's only so long, you know, his, he's a very demanding coach. I think that's, that's what the noise is coming out. Or his demands are sort of getting weary and when you're not sure you're going to be part of the long-term term project, but you're still being asked to do a heck of a lot every day in training and in terms of on a Saturday impressing uh, as a unit. And, and their whole sort of success and ethos has been built on that sort of commitment and and uh, and desire and and emotion you know emotional ties and emotional sort of connection with the manager and any sort of chink in that in that armory is is having a a massive effect i think and also i mean on all and i think all of that is summed up in in Alderweireld. i mean i think you see him yeah. uh, i thought that you know we saw him nabmary sort of run round him like he wasn't there in the bayern munich game we saw for for the Brighton was it the third Brighton goal where I think he's he's literally just static. I mean, you know, this is a top quality defender, maybe not quite as good as he thinks he is or his agent thinks he is. That you know he was going to get some mega million move to one of the top clubs, but he is a quality centre half um, by any standard, and he, you know, we all know he's had the issue with contract and and ha- hanging out for that, and he just seems to be yeah to me he. His last two games have summed up the problem of Spurs. He's playing way short of his potential. He looks, he didn't, he, he sort of, you know, well, Pochettino used the phrase, gave up um, about his team collectively at the end of the Bayern Munich game. And um, I, I don't see the fight in, in him. I'm not singling him out because, you know, he's been, you know, he deserves to be singled out. I just think he sums up the issue of bringing together the issue of contract, of, of all the things that Gregor mentioned about. And I, I think... The problem is it it becomes someone else's problem. When you're in that position, you know he knows that his chances are he might be leaving Spurs. So if they're having a a very average season by their standards, is that ever going to be his problem to to deal with? It's yeah, you get to that stage where well, you know uh, I'm I want out of here. I'm probably going to get out of here. Um, you know, once you start sort of having that blurred focus, then at this level, I think it's very hard to perform. Well, there are players, notably Aaron Ramsey, let's say, even James Milner, who we're going to talk about later on, who's out of contract in the summer, who you don't think, well, they're not playing to their their, well, their, their maximum. If I could just add on that, I mean, one thing, I, I you know, I think Pochettino is, is a top draw manager, but I do think his attitude, I, I think, again, it, as Greg said, it can be put in un- understandable and can be put in context, but I think it's been thoroughly unhelpful to the club. I mean, if I, with Daniel, you know, I think blame for this predicament can be shared around I think Pochettino is not innocent because you know I think his his sort of niggly yeah the fact that he's advertised his disgruntlement since the start is again you know that then creates an environment in which the players start to think well you know he's he's almost giving you an excuse to 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 um, perform less than your best so I, I do think Pochettino yeah, we can put it in context. We can put it understandable. But also, he, you know, he was given a couple of hugely expensive signings. Um, I'm not saying they were all going to be the answer to everything, but you know, he has advertised his own, uh, yeah, unease, and that's undoubtedly uh, a significant part of of Spurs' problem. 
I'd put Dier and Rose in that as well. It's almost like they've missed. They might have missed the boat in in getting one of these kind of a big move, a big money move to a Manchester United or something like that. And now it's sort of now they're off. They can't find they find themselves even out the team, and not sure if they're going to get another deal and be part of, of the Spurs project. That's that has an effect on you psychologically. Um, and Christian Eriksen, you know, he could be the next one. He's he 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 was sure he was going to get get a move to Spain or or. A bigger club in the summer. It's not happened. Is it going to happen? From what you know of Maurizio Pochettino and Tottenham, Matt, do you think he can turn it around this season? Well, I think Henry wrote after the buying game, which I think is right, is that there's you know there's a fork in the road here, and he you know it's. I'm not saying he's going to sort of recommit for the next three years, five years, but I think he needs to have a long, hard think about whether where he wants to be. Um, this time next year and if that's leaving Spurs then that's that is going to become very very obvious to everyone in the club and and is is mean is going to mean that they don't turn this around very easily or very quickly um you know I think yeah so he's he has got a huge decision to make there I, I mean it'd be pretty understandable if he's looking at the next move I think you know ultimately Tottenham probably have gone uh, as far uh more or less, you know, they could win a domestic cup, but I don't, they're not going to win the title in the next couple of years. Um, they've got to a Champions League final, which was, you know, thrilling, but again, it's going to be extremely hard to to replicate that. So you can understand if he's looking at his next move. Um, but if he is looking at his next move and, and his mind is already sort of one foot out of, of, of Tottenham, then I suspect this is going to be a pretty um, pretty bumpy campaign. Okay, it's time to look back over the EFL weekend and in particular on the championship. But Gregor, if we focus on the result between Millwall and Leeds, Millwall went into this game with caretaker manager Adam Barrett in charge. That's after Neil Harris resigned on Thursday after four years in charge. It's been a difficult season for Millwall. Their results and their performances not up to scratch but somehow they come away with a win over Leeds, so everyone is expecting to get promoted. Neil Harris is, you know, he's an absolute legend at that club. Mm. He's a great guy, got a lot of respect in the game. Um, had a great four years, you know. They've got two two FA Cup quarterfinals, I believe. Um, two Wembley finals, and the last of which they won promotion from League One. Um, and he's, you know, their all-time scorer. He's got a great standing at that club, so it kind of felt like to, to keep that, that standing at the club... They sort of come came to an agreement that maybe it's time for him to step aside, but that was a it was an emotional emotional day I think, and obviously the players the players really love him, um, and it did help that Leeds had a man sent off after fourteen minutes, um, and it was kind of even then same old story for Leeds. I feel like every week we're saying, yeah, Leeds dominated the ball. They had about seventy percent possession even with ten men. Um, I think even Bielsa is getting bored. I saw a quote of his that said. Always we are trying to explain why what we want doesn't happen. It impacts the tolerance of the people who are listening. <laughs> so he's kind of saying, I'm getting sick of saying yeah. this. Same thing every week, you know. We're hammering teams, really, but just can't find the back of the net. OK, well, that's the Leeds situation. We have to talk about Stoke because unbelievably, and probably not many would have predicted them going to Swansea, who were the league leaders at the time, and winning 2-1. It was a late goal as well from Scott Hogan that sealed the points for Stoke and that was after a week of turmoil where everyone was expecting Nathan Jones to get the sack then it comes then he comes out and says the board pretty much have given it their backing um do you think first of all other sides should take inspiration 
from Stoke in the way that they've handled this situation and, and not actually dismissing a manager when things aren't going well, but it's still very early in the season? Yeah, I'd love to say yes, but I mean, we're living in Cloud Cuckoo land there. Really. <laughs> yeah. he's, and, and we're still, he still might go. Let's, yeah. let's not make any mistake about that. Um, it was a huge win for them. I mean, they went, they went a goal behind after 52 seconds as well. So really, I'm sure the attitudes weren't great then. Um, but the scenes afterwards as well of celebration, you know, it's massive for them after, I think it was a 10, 10 games without a win. Um, and yes, you'd love to see, I'd, I'd love to see him succeed first and foremost because he doesn't turn into a bad manager mm-hmm. because of this spell. He had a, three great years at Luton. And the thing that is unusual about this is that he's been given this time. But if he's given the time and he turns it around, then, yeah, who knows, maybe it will make one or two chairmen just sort of think, we've got a guy here who we know is very capable and, and sort of committed and, and a talented coach. Um, just give him that wee bit, wee bit longer to, to turn things around, and I hope he does. Mm, yeah, he's certainly ridden the storm at the moment. But as you say, perhaps they're only as good as their next game and it's Fulham next as well. So it won't be an easy one for them to, to come back to after the international break. Do you think the international break in some ways comes at a bad time then for, for Nathan Jones and Stoke? No, I wouldn't say that. I think, you know, just getting that sort of monkey off their back and just light lift, lifting the mood a bit um, at the bet 365. Um, and, you, you know, if they had lost that, it wouldn't have been... All that surprising to see him getting getting the sack, which would have given them a bit of time to to bring someone else in over the the, the international break. But as it is, um, they go into that with their sort of chins raised a little bit. And and uh, look, they've still on paper they've got one of the best squads in the in the division. That's what pe- what's been so perplexing about it all. Mm. Um, so there's no reason why they cannot they cannot look upwards now. Well, it is that first win then for Stoke that they have picked up this season after winning at Swansea. They do remain bottom of the championship, but a crucial three points for them after, what, 11 games they picked up that first win of the season. Okay, well, that is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, Matt Dickinson, Paul Hurst and Martin Hardy as well. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It is just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information and we'll be back on Thursday. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. 